never said they watched him sin or did something wrong. And if I say the truth, why do ye not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's word. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, Say ye not well that thou art a Samaritan and hast a devil? Jesus answered, I have not a devil, but I honor my father, and you do dishonor me. And I seek not mine own glory. There is one that seeketh and judge, judgeth. Verily, verily, I say unto you, If a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. Then said the Jews unto him, Now we know that thou hast a devil. Abraham is dead, and the prophets, and thou sayest, If a man keep my saying, he shall never taste death, never taste of death. Art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead, and the prophets are dead? Whom makest thou thyself? Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father that honoreth me, of whom ye say that he is your God. Yet ye have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say I know him not, I shall be a liar like unto you. But I know him and keep his sayings. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. Then took they up stones to cast at him. Now let me stop here. There are those that try to say that Jesus never claimed to be God. This is exactly what the Pharisees understood he claimed and why they tried to stone him. It goes on. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Twelve times the word if appears in this chapter. Twelve times this word appears in the chapter. These are not ifs of a scientific hypothesis. These are ifs of divine reality. These are the building blocks that Jesus is the Christ and answering their question in verse 25, Who art thou? The greatest question that I think every individual needs to answer and have a legitimate answer, a valid answer, is who is Jesus Christ? Some say he was a good man. And there was a lot of good things he taught. Well, that would be true. But if he is not God the Son, he's not exactly a good man because he's a liar because he claimed to be God. And he claimed to be our Savior, our Redeemer. And if he is not God the Son, he could not save us. And he lied about what he could do for us. Others have a variety of things of who he is or whatever. But what you believe about Jesus Christ will determine your eternal destiny. And so in this, there is some answers to the question, who art thou? I said the if appears 12 times in this entire chapter. I'm not going to catch all of them, but I'm going to categorize six of them. Let me begin with verse 19 and the if of his deity. You'll find in chapter 8 and verse 19, we read, Then said they unto him, Where is thy father? Jesus answered, Ye neither know me nor my father. If ye had known me, 
ye should have known my Father also. He is not saying, if I am God incarnate. He is not debating the issue as to whether he is God or not. In fact, when the Bible presents him as God, it does not debate it. It says in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It doesn't make a debate about it. It simply claims it. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it doesn't debate the issue as to whether God existed or not. It simply states, in the beginning, God. And then it goes from there. And in this passage, he's not debating the issue of whether he is or is not God. He is bringing this if of if you had known me, if you really knew me, you would know my father and you would really know my heavenly father and you would know me. And by all of this, he would you would understand that he is God, the son. When he talks about his father. There's a different relationship between Jesus and the Heavenly Father than for you and I and our Heavenly Father. We are able to cry out, Abba, Father, He is our Father. Jesus Christ is a Son and He addresses His Father because of His position in the Trinity. But for you and I, we can cry out, Abba, Father, because we have been redeemed, we have been born again, and we've been adopted into the family of God, and now we can say, Abba, Father. He is our Father. But here he's talking about that union between God the Son and God the Father, that He is God manifested in the flesh. Several times through this chapter alone, he claims his deity. There are those uh, religious organizations say that he never claimed his deity. They just say that he became a God, is a God, little g, and uh, like all of the rest of us. Do you know what? And you probably know who I'm talking about. It's the Jehovah Witness movement. They deny that Jesus is God incarnate. Jesus would say, if you knew me, you would know the Father. And if you knew the Father you would know me. And they would know that he is God the Son. By the testimony of Jesus Christ, they don't know God. Not the God of the Bible. There's another uh, group, the Mormons. They say that Jesus is the brother of Lucifer. And they deny that he is equal with God as God the Son. Here again, by the testimony of Jesus Christ, he says, if you knew me, the God of the Bible, you would know my Father, And if you knew my father, you would know me. And you would know for a fact that he is indeed God the Son. And so several times in this chapter alone, not to mention other chapters and other passages, that he claims that he is God incarnate. And as I mentioned previously, one of the, let me state this, one of the prevailing principles of biblical interpretation. And I think I need to get some more of those sheets out there. I have about 15, 12, 15 principles of Bible interpretation. And one of those principles of Bible interpretation to know what the Bible means and understanding it is what would the original audience understand to be said? This original audience understood that he was claiming to be God. Now, folks... It is absolutely important that Jesus Christ is God the Son. Because if he were not, he could not 
die for our sin penalty. It is a divine law, but it has been a a civil law as well and brought into civil law. An innocent man can substitute the death penalty for only one guilty man. So in other words, let me illustrate it this way. If Let's say it is a father who has a son that goes bad, and that would be a tremendous heartbreak to any father. But he goes bad, and he goes out and commits a violent act of murder. He is arresticated and adjudicated and convicted, and he is sentenced to death. Now, that's presuming we still had some of the good old laws of yesteryear. But he is sentenced to death, and he would hang until dead within a week. But his daddy with a great heart of compassion for his son and wanted his son to have another chance, would go into the judge. And the judge would greet him and he says, what's on your mind? And the dad says, I know that my son is guilty of what you have prosecuted him for. And I know that he deserves to hang. But I want to hang for my son and give my son a second chance. The judge would have to ask, are you guilty of the death penalty crime like murder or anything like that? Because if you're guilty of that, you cannot be the substitute. And he says, no, I'm not a perfect man, but I've never committed a capital crime. I am not guilty of any of that. And then the judge says, okay, you can take your boy's place and your boy can go free. And I understand in the depths of even the American law that still stands today. The son would go free, but the father would hang for him. But let's say the father had two sons that had committed the same type of crime and they were both uh, slated to be hung. He could only be a substitute for one of the two. A human person can only be a substitute for one other person. You cannot offer yourself as a substitute for everybody on death row in one prison, multiple prisons, in one cell. You can legally only substitute for one person. And you cannot be guilty of that crime. Now let's put this into the divine law which this was taken from. Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, could be the substitute for any sinner because he was sinless. When it said that that he knew no sin, he was sinless. Who convinces me of sin? Nobody could because he was sinless. Because he knew no sin, he could be the substitute sin payment for any sinner. Sinner. Now you think about the most upright individual, the finest of individuals, morally honorable, ethically noble, hard worker, kind, just very gracious, but they're not sinless. They may have a little pride, the sin of pride. They may have a little greed, the sin of greed. They may have had some unsavory thoughts that nobody else knew about. But you see, even Christ is innocent of all of that. He never committed any sin. So he could be the substitute for that sinner. All the way to the vilest of sinners. 
But it was important that it was more than just a man that was absolutely innocent of any sin, any violation, any defilement. Because if he was only a man in all of that innocence, then he could be a substitute for only one person. But because he is the eternal Son of God, he and only he could taste death for every man, as stated in Hebrews, and pay the sin penalty and be the substitute, not only for one sinner, but for every sinner who would confess their sin and receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. And so one of the most important things that he was trying to present and get across is that, yes, indeed, I am God, the Son, and I am sinless, and and I qualify to be the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world, and not only the sin of the world, but sin of this preacher, your sin, every person here's sin. He has the the authority, the power, and the, the righteousness to be your substitute. That's why that's so important in knowing who Jesus Christ is. If you don't believe in the blood of Christ, and if you don't believe, then then you can't come and have your sins atoned for. And we'll talk about belief as we move forward, which is the next one. Verses 23 and 24, from the if of his deity, he is God the Son incarnate, to the if of unbelief in verse 23 and he said unto them ye are from beneath I am from above ye are of this world I am not of this world he is not looking down his nose at them he is simply saying you are mortal I am immortal you are human I am God incarnate he is defining that difference and and they weren't grasping it then he says I said therefore that ye shall die in your sins for if ye believe not that I am he ye shall die in your sins I don't know the, the dynamics of how he said this whether he said it with great compassion, whether he said it with great emotion, whether, whether he said it with somewhat of an anger with such a rejecting heart. But however he said it, here's the truth. That if you don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you die in your sins and you're condemned to an eternity in hell. This is what he was trying to get across to them. Do understand. He is giving this testimony and giving this witness to the very men and religious leaders that hated him and were plotting his crucifixion. That's the great heart of Jesus Christ. He wants to reach every man, woman, and child. It says that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance and to faith in Jesus Christ. And so he's saying, if you believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sin. That's why it is so crucial. What do you believe when it comes to the answer? Who art thou, Jesus? In John chapter 3, there was a very religious man named Nicodemus. He was a part of the religious uh, entourage. Jesus answered him, and and Nicodemus came by night. He, He had a searching heart. And he's trying to figure out... Who is this Jesus? He was, try- he, he was honestly trying to step aside from all of his naysaying peers to determine if this really is the Messiah, this really is Jesus. 
So he came to him by night, and Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Drop down to verse 15. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever (laughs) should believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world. Jesus Christ did not come to condemn the world. Because the world had sinned through Adam, Uh, sin was passed upon all, and all have sinned. And so here we understand that's Romans 5.12. And so we were already under condemnation and under the curse. And he says, did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Whether you've had the opportunity yet or not, to hear the gospel message, to believe it or not believe it. Because heretofore, you've not believed. You're already under condemnation. That's what he is saying. And so here we have the if. This is a great crisis. This is a great tragedy. He came to seek and to save whosoever would believe, including these This is not a head belief. The devils believe that Jesus is the Christ. But it is a belief from the heart. Romans chapter 10 verse 10 says, To believe from the heart and to confess with the mouth. You see, it's not simply saying a prayer. It is within the heart, believing and understanding that you are a sinner with a just condemnation. And that the only remedy is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ and faith in his finished work. That's what he was trying to get across. From unbelief, we go to the glorious truth. The if of emancipation, that is a transaction of belief. When you believe. Let me read these verses again in John chapter 8, verses 31 and following. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him. And there was, as you'll find at the end of verse 30, out of all of this teaching and all of this interaction, there were some Jews that actually believed on him. And then there was others that did not. But here he's speaking to those which believed. If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and we're never in bondage to any man. Let me stop there. Liar, liar, pants on fire. Seven times in the book of Judges, they were under bondage and needed God to deliver them. Later, the northern ten tribes of Israel, because of their wickedness and abandoning God, were taken into the Assyrian captivity, Jim Bondage. Not too much later, the southern tribes of Judah, they were taken into captivity by Babylon, and there for 70 years of bondage. And at the time they very, at this very time, 
they said that we've never been in bondage. They were on the brutal heel of the Roman government. You see, sin makes you blind. That's a terrible thing. That's a terrible blindness to not even recognize the bondage that they were under. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth. Notice the contrast he makes between a servant and a son. Verse 36, If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Emancipation. Emancipation is to be delivered from bondage or slavery. You see, salvation is not simply adding Jesus to your life. It is not simply a get-out-of-hell-free ticket to keep in your pocket or wherever. Salvation is being delivered from the bondage of the curse of sin, receiving his pardon, and delivered from the bondage of serving sin anymore. I I want to take a little time here to help us understand this. He makes the comparison of the servant and the son. The servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. In this comparison, let me go back into the dark history of America and other countries of when slavery was both wickedly legal and rampant. There could be two people in in the house. Here is the master and all of his family. There could be the son and he would be living in the family quarters. There could also be one of the servants that's living in the servants' quarters. Have it really quite nice. The son would dress as a family member. The servant would dress as a servant. But could be dressed very fine and very nice. White shirt, vest, nice pants, nice shoes, groomed, clean. But he's still a servant. The son, who is free is free to come and go as he pleases. The servant is restricted in all of his movements. You can't go here. You can't go there. For the son, if he wants to go somewhere, he says, hey, Dad, I'm going to town today, and he jumps on his horse and rides to town. The servant, if he wants to go to town and tries to tell the master, I'm going to town,
This severe thunderstorm will be near Severance around 3.35 p.m. Other locations in the path of a severe thunderstorm include Western Greeley. For your protection, move to an interior room on the lowest floor of a building. The officials out to hunt him down and track him down, to capture him, put chains around him, drag him back to the place. He would be most likely brutally whipped, demoted from his position of, of fineries in the house, he, and, and uh, brutally whipped and made an example of to the other slaves not to do that and be relegated back to the squalor of the back cabin where mice and rats run freely. You see, there's a great difference between being a son and a servant, all in the same house. But the more I thought about that, the Lord just really convicted me. I was the servant in the house. Let me explain to you what I mean. Now, as I grew up in my family, I'm a Miller boy, I'm my dad's son, I'm my granddad's grandson, etc. There at Maxwell, my great-granddad had been saved. He was a part of the church. My granddad had been saved. He was a part of the church there at Maxwell. My dad had been saved and was a part of the church at Maxwell. And along comes this little guy. And growing up in the church, as a child, I was dressed just like any of the other children of God. I was taught to the manners and the decorum of any other child of God so that I would be acceptable within the house of God and God's people. And I learned, and, and I had free access in, into the dwelling and, and all of that. But before I received Jesus Christ as my Savior, I was still a slave to sin. Out of all of the privileges, out of all of the refinement, out of all, you know, I, I knew how to speak, I knew how to dress, I knew how to walk, I knew how to behave. And, and most of the sins were of my heart and out of sight of anybody else. The sins of the thought of the mind and, and any dis, uh, disobedience was quickly uh, chastened by my mom or my dad and brought into line. And, and, uh, but I was still a servant of sin. I had not received Jesus Christ as my Savior. And do you know, just like that servant that was in the house that had all of the niceties and all of the refinements and everything like that, there was no guarantee he could stay in that house. Because the slave master could someday be offered a, a very attractive price and he could sell that slave that, that was dressed of the greatest decorum and had the education to read and to speak and, and to uh, behave himself in all of the proper decorum. He could have been sold at a right price to a slave master that was brutal, that was vile, that would whip his back and put him out into the sludge and the horrors of some of the most horrible slavery. He had no security. Folks, 
as a servant in fine quarters. That was me. And then I met the Savior. I realized that I was still a sinner. I realized that I was still a servant to sin. And I confessed my sin with tears and put my faith in Jesus Christ. And God gloriously delivered me and made me free. And as I was thinking about this, here's what I was thinking about. And I do not talk about this with even with even a, a shade or shadow of arrogance, but with full, full humility. God has saved me from a lot of the dregs of sin. But I look back, how close was I to the taskmaster selling me to the depths of other sin? If I had not received Jesus Christ as my Savior when I did. There was other kids my age that were talking of things that were not good. And as I grew a little older, they were doing things that were not good. How close was I to being sold into the slavery of being a whoremonger or moral perversion? But do you know what? It's not that we're put on an auction block. It's that we willingly sell ourselves to it. How close was I? How close was I to having a vile, vulgar language that nobody cared to be around? Well, except this era of people. (laughs) How close was I to to becoming such an angry person that I would have killed somebody and been sold into the bondage of anger that would take me to violence of, of beating a wife and beating my children and killing somebody. Folks, while I was yet a slave and even in the finest of quarters, I could have been sold by the devil himself into a slavery and sold myself into the depths of that but I met the Savior and He set me free and I don't have to serve it anymore not even in my thought life I would liken to this to be bound like a log is bound to a moving chain of table going into a a buzzsaw to be ripped up for, for lumber. And, and this is what sin does, no matter the simplicity of it or the horror of it. You're bound and tied there, and you're going to the absolute destruction that it not only destroys your life, but takes away your eternal home with Jesus Christ. How far down had I gone? And Jesus stepped in and made me free. He cut the chains. Folks, what I am today, I owe to the grace of God. That's all. I was that servant. But praise God, I put my faith, go back to belief versus unbelief. I put my belief in Jesus Christ from the heart. And when he said he makes you free, he sets you free.
Anybody still living under the dregs and the bondage of sin don't know the saving power of Jesus Christ. Because you don't have to. It's because you chose to go back to those slaves. He delivered us from that. There is a horrible denial here when they says, oh, we've never been in bondage. When I told you how many times they were in bondage and they were bondage at that moment. There is no blindness like willful blindness to the gospel truth. Verse 39 through 34, the if, which is proof of paternity, who is your father? There's a lot of people that claim to be Christians and claim Jesus as their father, but I want you to notice something. In beginning with verse 39, they answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus saith unto them, If ye were Abraham's children, ye would do the works of Abraham. But now ye seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. Ye do the deeds of your father. Then said they to him, We be not born of fornication. They, they're slandering his virgin birth. They were saying his mother was a fornicator. They are denying and slandering that. And then they say, we have one father, even God. Jesus said unto them, if God were your father, ye would love me. For I proceed forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do ye not understand my speech, even because ye cannot hear my word? Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. The if, proof of paternity. Who's your father? Who's your father? You see, like father, like son. A son bears a tremendous resemblance of the father. Does your life, does your behavior, does your conversation, does your demeanor, does, does your ambitions, does it resemble our Heavenly Father or the works of the devil? Who's your father? A son bears the resemblance of the father. I'm going to share a regrettable part of our family. We, we have a grandson, <clears throat> unfortunately, who has not walked with God. But he sired a child in adultery out of wedlock. And, and shortly after the birth of the child, and even before the birth of the child, because of the character and behavior patterns of the mother, there was debate whether the child was really his or not. After the child was born, I don't think it was too long. There, there was debate about doing DNA because of all of the legal ramifications. But it came to a point where he said, I think that's my son, and I will claim him as my son. The little guy is now, what, about two years old, somewhere around there. Saw the grandson and the great-grandson, about two years old. We came away saying, nobody in their right mind could deny that that's his boy. 
He looks just like his daddy. Has curly hair like his daddy. Has facial features like his daddy. Has some man at two years old has mannerisms like his daddy. There is no way in the world you're going to deny paternity ship there. You see, here's here's the principle. Who's your father? Who's your life resemble? As a child of God, I want everything about my life to resemble my heavenly father. I want nothing about my life to resemble the devil as my father. I don't want to, the way I dress. I don't want to, to weigh what I do with my body. I don't want with what I say with my tongue. I don't want with where I go and what I do to ever give any indication that I am resembling the, a devil as my father. There's some of these things that just come natural like the great-grandson. And they ought to. And there's some ways that we can work at it to make it right. But my friend, in my life, I want to resemble my heavenly father. Who's your father? Can a person just walk in and tell it? Let me tell you about another one. There's a man, I don't know exactly how old he is. But I encountered him about two years ago. He called. And he wanted to meet with me, and, and we, we had uh, some things to do, and wanted to discuss some things. And he said, um, something you need to know before we get together. I am a very large black man, and I've just been released from prison. I said, oh, okay. In most occasions, not because of his color... But probably because just being released from prison, I would have been very reluctant to go meet him alone. But there was something, because he shared the testimony. of After he was in prison, I mean, he was in some pretty bad stuff, justifiably in prison. Let me go back to that illustration of the son versus the servant. I was the servant in the nice household. He would be that servant that was out in the field and all the ugliness of it. And just as many of them, if they bared their back, they would show the scars of a whipping for not obeying their taskmaster. And this man, because of, of the intense wickedness that he had been. Now, do understand, we were both the child of the devil. I just was in the servants' quarters. He was out in the horrors of it. But nonetheless, we were still both lost. But that's where he was. And he acknowledged it. But he said there was a preacher from Rock of Ages Prison Ministry that spoke and spent time with him. And he got saved. And he'd been studying the Word of God. And his life had changed. And do you know what? I I could even tell... And for some people, you can tell in their accent some of their ethnicity. I could tell in his accent his ethnicity. But there was something else. There there was something different about his speech. It no longer resembled the world. It resembled his heavenly father. And then just here about a week or so ago, 
we, we met again. And we were talking on the phone and was going to connect again. And I said, Michael, your voice sounds familiar. And we hadn't seen each other for two years. I said, Michael, are you the one that called me two years ago and said that I am this very large black guy that just got out of prison? He says, that's right. That's me. And he said, you know what? I was amazed for a little white guy. You weren't scared of me. That kind of hurt my ego a little bit, a little. <laughs> but the fact is, if I took my cowboy boots on, I'm only about this tall. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, he still had the scars of sin in his body by comparison of a slave that had been whipped and scarred on his back, that had been emancipated and free and living a free man's life. But now he resembled his heavenly father too. Who's your father? When I got together with him, there, I had nothing to fear out of that. I better keep going. I'm out of time. Verses 51 through 52, we find the if of spiritual integrity. The if of spiritual integrity. Verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. Then said the Jews unto him, Now you know that thou hast a devil. Abraham is dead, and the prophets, and thou sayest, If a man keep my saying, he shall never taste death. And they go on with that argument. This is at least the third time in this chapter that he emphasizes that when a person becomes born again, things change majorly. You no longer resemble your father the devil. You begin resembling your heavenly father instead. This truth capsulized one of the doctrinal terms that have been used, but not much lately. It is called the perseverance of the saints. And what it means, those who are truly saved will persevere and continue in the faith. And it's basically what Jesus is saying in this chapter. If ye continue my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. He's not talking about a sinless, perfect life. He's talking about a life that is committed to living for the Lord Jesus Christ and abandoning the things of the world. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. There is spiritual integrity. There are a host of folks that claim to be Christians all over and even in our community, but there is little or nothing in their lives to validate that God is their Father. They look like the world. They talk like the world. They, they drink like the world. They, everything about them represents the things of the world, and they resemble the world whose father is the devil, and yet they want to claim the name of Jesus, but they shame the name of Jesus. Remember, not everything that glitters is gold. In Christendom, there's a lot of fool's gold. Make sure it's not you. And so, yes, Jesus Christ is driving home a point that when he delivers us from the bondage of sin and the penalty of sin, things change and we do not have to go back to it. Finally, the if of personal rejection, which is found in verse 46. 
which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life, always spoke the truth. And Ephesians say, speaking the truth in love. And because we give the truth, we are not your enemy. But out of the hardness of their heart, they rejected him. You see, folks reject Jesus Christ as their Savior for a variety of reasons. Here it was their religious pride and prestige and a strong spiritual blindness with hatred. For some, it is a self-deceit in thinking they are guaranteed another day, another chance to when they could come to Christ, when their life is but a vapor, all our life is but a vapor, and it could end without an opportunity to even think about it. For another, they reject because they love darkness more than light. They do understand this, that if they get saved, they need to give up the things of the world, and they don't want to give up the things of the world, and they love darkness rather than the light. And yet for another, sadly, some think they are so vile that Jesus would not save them. But do understand, nobody has plummeted to the depths of sin that the grace of God cannot reach as long as they have a coherent mind and breath to call upon the name of Jesus. Jesus said that he came to seek and to save that which is lost. Even in this case, those who hated him with such a passion, they plotted his crucifixion. Understand this. In John chapter 8, we have a recorded testimony validating that Jesus is indeed the Christ. He is willing to save you. He tasted death for every man. He is not willing that any should perish. He has the authority, the power to save you as God the Son. He not only has the power to save you, but to deliver you from the bondage of sin. To be able to enjoy life until we go to be with Him. That leaves you and me with the great theme of the Gospel of John. Believe versus unbelief. Even in this chapter, there were those that believed. And there were those that did not believe. Which crowd do you belong to? If you are yet in unbelief, Jesus Christ invites you this moment to come in repentance and faith to Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to the Foothills Baptist Gospel Hour. For more information about Foothills Baptist Church of Loveland, Colorado, you may visit our website at foothillsbaptistchurch.com. And until we meet again, be sure you are...
Mike Morris, owner of Warriors Revolution Tactical in Longmont. At Warriors Revolution, we have the largest selection of tactical gear and ammo in northern Colorado. But what many people may not know is that we now sell firearms. And even despite the recent run on firearms and ammunition, we have plenty of product in the store, including ARs, AKs, Glocks, SIGs, HK, and more. And don't forget all the bulk ammunition at the best prices in town. Need to do a private firearms transfer? We can do that, too. I am a veteran of the United States Marine Corps. And our team is made up of veterans and security experts, not a bunch of salesmen. Our team is trained and fought with much of the actual equipment we sell. 
The one thing you should know is that we support the foundations and principles this great country was founded upon. So if you need tactical gear, ammo, firearms, AR parts or upgrades, and even survival accessories, stop by and visit us on Ken Pratt Boulevard and Bowen Street in Longmont. Or visit warriorsrevolution.com. That's warriorsrevolution.com. Reasons to Own Gold. Brought to you by the Patriot Trading Group at allamericangold.com. Reason number 647. Most people don't even know that the courts have already ruled. Once money is deposited into the bank, the bank owns the money, and the depositor is merely an unsecured creditor of the bank. Which means if the bank goes under, you get paid last. After the financial crisis, instead of breaking up too big to fail, the government and the Federal Reserve created Dodd-Frank and made too big to fail banks even bigger while putting your deposits more at risk. I'm Joe Jaquin, CEO of the Patriot Trading Group. To learn more, visit us at allamericangold.com or call us at 800-951-0592. J.D. here. Join me as I take my A-10 Warthog radio show into the swamp to do battle with the political and propagandist cockroaches and swamp creatures. Saturdays, noon to one. Hey guys, Tommy with Revo Knives. Wanted to let you know that we're bringing our knives laser engraved here for 1360 KHNC. You can pick them up at 2 South Parish Avenue here in Johnstown at their radio station. They're laser engraved with their logo. We're really proud to partner with them and have our Revo Knives on display, all for you guys to carry with your EDC rotation. Certainly can't underestimate the quality or the value you get for the money. Stop by and see them today or pick one up at RevoKnives.com. Impact. 